Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on Eve Porcello, the lead instructor at Moon Highway. How are you doing, Eve? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. And the reason we are having you on is we understand that you are somewhat of an expert on GraphQL. Is that correct? This is alleged, yes. Alleged. Definitely. So you have your PhD, you got your credentials, we're good to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can follow up with the certifications after this. All right, great. So if you were out in Southern Humboldt County at mile 18 of the Avenue of Giants Marathon and someone runs up next to you and he says, hey, what is GraphQL anyway? How would you answer? Mile 18 feels like pretty long for <laughs> for my running abilities who well, that haven't gone well, that's past a, a mile since like fourth grade. But um. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing. You, like you, your the lactic acid is building up. You're tired. Bulls are chafing. Like all these horrible things are going on at mile 18. So you better... You you got to yeah. answer them quickly. I'd probably want to make it quick. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say the kind of tagline for GraphQL is that it's a query language for your API, but it's basically a way of getting data in a predictable way into your app. So if yeah. I, if, I, <laughs> if I'm that guy that asked you that question and you answered it in a beautiful, pithy way, and you said it's a query sure. language for the API, I'd be like, oh yeah. And then I would kind of tilt my eyes up and I'd be like, what? does that even mean? What is a query yeah. language for an API? What does that mean? <laughs> totally. So think about your domain. Think about all the objects that you're building your app around, whether they're products or users or, I don't know, events, things like that. Marathons. Uh, graph marathons, uh, trees, yeah. whatever they might be. Yeah. You would just think about GraphQL as being a way of kind of describing your data. So with GraphQL, it gives us this schema language that we we can use to be like, this is exactly what our app should do, <laughs> essentially. Mm -hmm. Like a marathon has a length and a location and it has a organizer and all those types of things. And then if we were building our marathon app, we could use GraphQL to say, here's where all the data comes from that we need to make our marathon app work. So think about <laughs> all of the data sources that you have today, mm -hmm. probably REST APIs, databases, Yeah, I was files. about to say, this sounds like yeah. a REST API and I'm running this marathon. I could use a REST right now. Like what? what, what is the... <laughs> You know, so what is the what's the improvement on REST? Like, why don't I just use REST? Well, the thing with GraphQL is it instead of getting if I make a request for all races, right, mm -hmm. and getting back a huge blob of data from mm -hmm. a REST API with GraphQL, I can say, you know, really only what I need is the organizer and I need the location. Mm. And then all those other fields aren't going to come back to me. I can be really specific about what data does this app actually need. So there's no overfetching. And it also allows you to, if you like your REST API, which why tear down something that is already good, mm. uh, you can put GraphQL in front of it and yeah. any other data sources that you might have. So let's say projects I've worked on maybe have a hundred different REST APIs and it's like, what on earth? <laughs> like, what is all this data? <laughs> yeah. Like, where is it from? I don't know what this stuff is. You have to onboard everybody who's <laughs> joining the project to figure out 
WTF around here. Yeah, so exactly. What GraphQL gives you is it's like the organizer. It's the orchestration layer for all your different data. Here's the thing that I've run into is that REST APIs are, you know, kind of wonderful, sort of, not really. But you're right. They give you back all of the data. I mean, there are ways around that, but it ends up being yeah. kind of a big pain for that to happen. But the biggest thing that I have enjoyed about GraphQL versus REST is every REST API is somewhat different in terms of how it mm -hmm. works and what you use to get stuff and bring stuff back and the verbs and the nouns and all that kind of stuff. Like it's each one is kind of its own custom boutique thing. Whereas with GraphQL, it's one standard and it documents itself, right? Yeah, exactly. So once you write your schema, then that becomes documentation for all the fields and all the types that you can use. So yeah, you don't have to document it. You could make it even better by adding cool documentation to it. But right. yeah, I think it's definitely an improvement over REST APIs in that regard, just because those often don't get the attention to um, no, document No, right, because I've written, yeah. I've done both. Right. So I've made yeah. REST APIs. And then after you make the API, then you have to document it. Right. Totally. But in the process of making a GraphQL API, you're documenting it and you can just point someone at it and go here. Right. I mean, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And thinking about your domains objects as a group is kind of a cool thing to do because mm. we teach a lot of project managers who are like, well, we don't really interface too much with the REST API. We just need data from somewhere. And kind of bringing everybody to the table around that schema is a really big benefit too. What, okay. So another question about GraphQL that I have for you is, is it a database? Like, is, is it sort of like Postgres or MySQL or Mongo? Not really. So that is because there are graph databases in the world. GraphQL often is thought of as either some sort of query language for databases or a database itself. GraphQL doesn't tell you, doesn't boss you around about where your data should come from. Mm. So it's not associated with any particular database. It's not a database unto itself. It's more of just a way of communicating to your data sources. It's almost like it's a query language for an API, right? Like I said at mile 18, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and you, I was you, onto something there. I know, right? And you, you actually made a really interesting point because I've done this too, where I've built a GraphQL API on top of a REST API, right? So there's no reason yeah. you have to throw out all of that stuff. You can add this GraphQL layer on top of existing REST APIs and get some of the benefits of, of GraphQL there. Totally. And that's how a lot of folks will start out, just mm -hmm. um, wrapping their existing REST APIs. And they find, wow, this is making things quite a bit faster already. And it gives us this nice little source of truth for where all our data is coming from. But also it becomes you don't have to tear everything down. And that's always what I like to say, because people rest aficionados sometimes get mad at me. But I always like to say we can work together and it'll be cool. <laughs> I mean, I, I've had a longstanding maxim of don't love anything that can't love you back. And exactly. trust me, everybody, <laughs> there's not an API in the world that, that can love you back. No, Patrick, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> Patrick, you ever had an API love you back? No, no, they, they all just stab me in the back. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <they're... laughs> 
<laughs> even GraphQL, which, you know, I hear you talking about how it's nice that you can request just the fields you need or just the, you know, the fields isn't the right word, but you know what I'm trying to say, the, the various um, parts of the schema that your request requires. But at the same point, what about, um, you know, people say that one of the, the down, or not downfalls, but one of the drawbacks of, of GraphQL is that you need to then go and outline every single part of the schema that you're ever going to need access to and mm. be very careful when then querying if something isn't in the schema how does that work and yeah how do you train people around that well as far as you're asking if we skip over some fields in the schema that exist in the database, how do we deal with that? Or Yeah, I think so. I, I, cool. I, I'm more from the times that I play with Gatsby. You, know, you then have to be very careful about not only saying, okay, here is every single part of the schema I'm ever going to want to map and need to know it. But then if a, a data structure comes down and doesn't have that, it, it, I've always found it gets a little bit tricky then coding around ones that maybe like Gatsby, this might be a Gatsby specific one, but yeah. a part of the schema that you might expect to be there sometimes, but it's not always there. I've found that to be a little bit problematic. Totally. And I've had similar problems with Gatsby too. I like to think of myself as someone who knows about GraphQL, but mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes GraphQL and Gatsby is mm. a stumbling block for me, mm. uh, just as far as like those types of things, like field missing and things like that. I think if you're using a tool that is based on GraphQL like Gatsby, they have a really specific way that they're using it just to kind of generate pages and deal with static data data and things like that. If you're building your own GraphQL API, there are some ways of kind of getting around that. There are tools for schema generation based on your data. So I haven't used those as much. I've more come from a schema first approach that is kind of more focused on your API. But if you do have fields, you do have data that you want to really model with GraphQL. There are tools like Prisma and Amazon's AppSync and things like that that can help mm -hmm. you if you just want to offload that to a tool so you don't have to remember, okay, this has an ID and it's called person ID instead of user ID or whatever. So That's interesting yeah. that you mentioned about generating GraphQL schema. So mm -hmm. we know a bunch of people that work at ThinkMill and they have this thing called Keystone JS, which yeah. is sort of a, yeah. So one of the things that they did in the new version of Keystone is they're doing what you're talking about in terms of they can generate the GraphQL API from the data structures that you define. I've done nothing mm -hmm. with it, so I can't say anything that sounds intelligent about it <laughs> other than other than that. But that sounds very similar to what you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of tools do kind of come from that approach because particularly big organizations that have tons of different data types and tons of different fields really designing a schema around that. As much as I'd like to advocate <laughs> for writing the schema first, mm -hmm. it, it that's a really taxing thing. So yeah. I don't think that you should hesitate to use those types of tools just because they're there for a reason. Also, I think just in terms of the numbers, I think the vast sure. majority of people may never generate their own GraphQL schema, right? That just It's just not what they do, but they very well may start consuming it, right? That's where the majority will be would be interfacing with GraphQL, I would think. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for instance, a lot of people that listen to the, the show use Craft CMS and they added a full GraphQL schema API in uh, what version was it, Patrick, that that was added in? Oh, I want to see the three one or three two. 
Really? Uh, I, thought, I thought it was 3-3. Maybe it was 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. I mean, it came out last yeah. October, right around the yeah. time of Dottle. Maybe it was 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. But in, in any event, so it yeah, lets right. you, uh, Eve, so you do content authoring in the back end. We are sort of describing your schema just by creating entries and fields and, and that kind of thing. And what it will do is it will automatically create for you, if you want, a GraphQL API for all of this stuff that is automatically typed. So it's really kind of nice. And I think that regardless of what you're using, whether you're using Keystone or Craft or any other tool, I think the majority of people are going to be consuming these GraphQL APIs rather than creating them. So what advantages do we get as consumers of the thing? We know that it's self-documenting, which is great because then you know, we, don't, we don't have to hope and pray that some developer actually wrote documentation for this thing. So there'll be some self-documentation. And so, so what other benefits might there be? Like it's strong typing? What is that and how does that help us as a consumer of this thing? Yeah, I think strong typing, if you're thinking about things from a front-end perspective, particularly if you're using TypeScript or something like that. Uh, a lot of TypeScript enthusiasts have found themselves becoming GraphQL enthusiasts mm. just because those types really work nicely together. For example, if you have a GraphQL backend that you're working with, you can automatically generate types for a React app or something like that on the front end using a tool like Apollo CLI, or there are a lot of these <laughs> GraphQL. It's falling out of my brain what that other one is called, but it'll come back like in the middle of the night. But there are many different tools that you can use for that on the front end, mm -hmm. as well as if you're trying to build a UI and you then can write the query right there in the file with your UI, then if you start running into bugs, you can really look at the query and you can think, is that named correctly? Is that showing me, is that really filling in the details that I need? to make this UI work. So that can sometimes be nice too, to sort of, instead of just fetch all the data and let's figure it mm -hmm. out, you can say this part of the UI requires this query. And then it's a little bit easier to debug, especially if you're using TypeScript or something more strictly typed. Well, you touched on something that I think may make some more traditional or backend developers a little bit queasy. And, yeah. th and that is <laughs> Probably. That <laughs> I do <Yeah>. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that is that if I'm used to writing queries. No one ever sees those queries, right? So they're sitting mm -hmm. in the back end somewhere and I'm querying the SQL database and that's all hidden from the user. But if I'm using GraphQL, most of the time, the queries are being created via JavaScript. Like the world can see mm -hmm. the queries that are in there. Is that is that a problem? Is, is Have you ever heard some backend developers being like, I don't want my query sitting on the front end? I think that a lot of backend developers have pushed back against GraphQL for a lot of reasons, because it feels like, oh, we're relinquishing a lot of control to front end developers who are just going to make our, <laughs> our day miserable with whatever they're doing out there. I think that the benefits that back and developers get is they often take on at least co-management of the server or that GraphQL schema with the front end team. Sometimes they're 100% in charge of that. And that allows them to get the organization benefits from GraphQL, but it also allows them to kind of enforce some rules. So mm. what I mean by rules is like only these queries, you can whitelist queries, essentially say only these queries are allowed. You can do cool things with security. You can say a query can only be nested two levels deep or something like that. So that some of those worries about very valid worries sure, about right. people just DDoSing your server. Right. 
if you include, if you're like a front end person who wants to use GraphQL, a good way to make friends on your team is to really collaborate with people on the back end and have them um, have them have more control over your GraphQL server so that they also can enforce some of these rules so that their job actually becomes easier. And the, the funny thing about that is it does force you, if you're building a GraphQL API, to think about that security and layered security and, and, and that type of thing when you're designing it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I can, I can guarantee you that in most cases, if you gain access to a backend database, whether via credentials or, you know, how, however you gain access to it, I mean, that's it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> pretty yeah. much all bets are off and you're able to do any query that you want under the sun. So it's interesting because that layer of security is just never there because you're just like, well, you know, they're going to have access to the whole shebang, you know, and that's that's typically the way that it works. So it, it could be that at least a, a well-implemented GraphQL API could be even more secure. And the key being well-implemented. Yeah, with everything, I guess. But yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Really good point. Yeah, because if I get into the Postgres database for you know, just about any backend system... <laughs> I can just, I can do anything, you know, I can just nuke it. It's very, very rare that there's any kind of layered security or, or systems that are built on that. Whereas if we're already building this from the perspective that the public is in theory going to be able to access this stuff, we are forced to solve that security and access problem on the front end. Yep, absolutely. And I think that makes front end developers more aware of that stuff too. Mm. I think a lot of times it'll be like, well, back end developers, they're in charge of security. Let's completely <laughs> blame and reward them for all of that. Yep. I think making front end developers more aware, myself included, I know more about security now than I did when I was just doing JavaScript apps and things like that. So sure. it's really, yeah, it's kind of an interesting shift. So something else that I want to get into about GraphQL is it, let's take a step back. Okay. So we're running this marathon. We decided to pull off to the side of the road for a little bit, just to take a little <laughs> rest. We got a little more time to think about it, discuss it. Where did GraphQL come from? Like where, what, where did it come from and what problems was it designed to solve? Yeah, so GraphQL came from Facebook. Around 2012, Facebook was going through their big move to all the mobile applications. And they were finding that those news feeds or whatever it was called at the time, the UI was loading really slowly, particularly mm. on mobile devices. They had a lot of REST APIs and they had their own flavor of SQL that they were using to populate the data for that. And so team of a few people put together... GraphQL and started using it at Facebook as early as 2012. And it really kind of, you can think about your, I guess it was before components at this time. You can think about your UI though being this reflection of your data. And so it really started to couple the UI with the data requirements and the query language itself. So that's kind of where it started. Then in 2015, it was open sourced and a lot of folks have used it since then. A lot of big companies are making big bets on GraphQL just for a lot of the stuff we've talked about, like the ability to really select the fields that you want and the organizational benefits you get out of GraphQL. So fun fact. In fact, a lot of people, when they think about Facebook, they think about things like React and they mm -hmm. think about JavaScript, but at least for a very long time, and it still may be, I think a lot of the back end is run by PHP or actually big time. Yeah, yeah. or actually uh, <laughs> their own kind of flavor of it. So they actually made their own flavor called uh, Hack or HHVM, they called it, yeah. and they run a lot of stuff on the back end. And, you know, they build all this stuff because they need to build this stuff to solve their problem. 
Right, so Facebook has mm -hmm. this very specific problem of they need to be able to handle an incredible amount of people doing all sorts of stuff with feeds and notifications and all that kind of stuff. A criticism that I have heard of React, for instance, is that React is wonderful if you're building Facebook, but if you're not building Facebook, is it really the right thing or is it too heavy? Mm -hmm. What about... Mm -hmm in terms of GraphQL. Like GraphQL, presumably, is wonderful if I'm building Facebook, but is it is it good for solving any other problems? Because that's a very specific problem. Yeah, totally. And that's what's funny about talking about GraphQL is you talk about its use at Facebook, and mm. then they have a really specific way that they implement GraphQL that yeah, most and, people and don't And a certain do. number of people run screaming as soon as they hear it's from Facebook. <laughs> of course, with, with good reason. But right I think right. that um, I think that ultimately, I've found that a lot of organizations like working with GraphQL because mm -hmm. it really allows them to deal with some of the issues that have come from trying to implement their own microservices for everything. So. Mm. I would say, I would never say use GraphQL for everything. Use GraphQL if you want to, if you find it useful. I'm not a partisan that heavily with GraphQL, but I do think that let's say organizations who we go teach, for example, might have all these different data sources, these REST APIs, and they're just kind of overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. They don't yep. know where to get the data. They can't communicate across teams how to get the data. And then that becomes a roadblock for them. What you can do with GraphQL though, is you can organize people around all of this data. It gives you, I heard Nick Schrock, one of the creators of GraphQL, say something that I constantly copy. And so here's a great time to copy it. And that's that GraphQL gives you what you like about a monolith. So seven years ago, every talk was like, we have to go from this monolith to all these different microservices. Mm -hmm. But once we went to microservices, it became like, oh, there's a lot of these. And right. it's really hard to get data from those. So GraphQL doesn't say get rid of the microservices necessarily. It allows you to just be a project manager of those microservices. <laughs> and then you can open up to your front end developers or really any developers who need to consume that data. You can say, here's where it is. Go get it from here and stop bothering me at five o'clock on a Friday because you can't get data from this one REST endpoint. Yeah, it's funny the way things go in waves. So, you know, everyone's <laughs> moving to microservices and then Uber and some other companies mentioned that they're moving away from microservices and back to <laughs> macro services and, you know, this, exactly. that and the other thing. Totally. And, and, but more than anything, it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It means that exactly. you have to pick the thing that solves your problem well, you know? Mm -hmm. Microservices might be fantastic for a particular set of problems, but a monolith might be better for some other problems. For per sure. Yeah. I mean, personally, one of the things that I've enjoyed about using GraphQL, I'm going to go back to the Craft CMS specific example, is if I wanted to have an API for people to access in Craft CMS, prior to that, I would have to build my own, either a REST API or they had this thing called an element API, but you still had to build it, right? So you had to specifically build out the access and you had to specifically define what they could have access to. With the release of GraphQL, it's just there. If you turn it on and you have an access token that has proper authentication for, to do the thing, it's just there and you can just utilize it, which 
to me is wonderful because when you are then defining the API when you're doing the content modeling, which from my perspective just saves a lot of work and it's a lot of error prone work. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many REST APIs I've seen that they've had issues implementing them, you know, either permission issues or security issues or any number of other things, because to some extent you're kind of reinventing part of the wheel every time. Whereas GraphQL is like, no, no, we got this part of the wheel, you know, and that's sort of how I envision it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it's useful in all sorts of interesting ways that sort of you can use the type system to just automate a lot of tasks that you previously had to do by hand. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. But in, in speaking about GraphQL, this is something that I find people are like, they think that they can only use it if they're using JavaScript. Is that true? No, definitely. It's true that people think that, but it's not true that you have okay. to use JavaScript. Yep. I think what is often overlooked about GraphQL is that it's just a spec. So mm. it's just the query language. It's the way that we get data and change data, the language for that. It's also a schema language, the language that we use to design that document that contains all of the types. But then from there, and I think this is where a lot of the stress about GraphQL comes in, is from there, you have to choose your solution. So Mm. your implementation of GraphQL will be wildly different depending on what project you're using and what technology your existing developers are comfortable with and a million other things along the way. But yeah, I think that's actually a good thing about GraphQL is that you can choose a different language Python, C++, Go, whatever you want to build your solutions. Yeah, that's right. And from my perspective, the other thing I loved about it is because it is this neutral spec that's kind of sitting in the middle of these things. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful that, okay, so if I had implemented this custom API in Craft CMS via the Element API, like that's very specific to that domain. Right. If I then right. ended up moving to a different service or a different CMS or, or whatever, I got to throw it all out and start all over again. Whereas if I have done it via GraphQL, I can, in theory, swap out the back end and the front end doesn't have to care because it's a neutral mm-hmm. spec that it's written to. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's just to if you are looking to learn GraphQL if you're looking to take the first steps, I would encourage you to check out the query language and the schema definition language first before Mm -hmm. really worrying about the tools. Sometimes you jump into the tools. I did this when I was first learning GraphQL and I was like, I don't know how to do this. This seems really bad and upsetting. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I find that when you take the time to really learn, like, how do you write a query? As Mm -hmm. simple as that. There's a lot of open public facing APIs that you can use. GitHub being kind of the one of the kind of flagship examples of a public facing GraphQL API, you can really you start having fun right away. And then you write a schema and that's fun too. Mm -hmm. And then you can think about the whole ecosystem of tools, but you'll know this seems useful. This is a framework that I can use to really build some cool things. And so what I would say is that if you're getting into learning GraphQL, I would say that you should check out Moon Highway, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I was saying. But yes, you could definitely take a training class from me or Alex, my husband slash coworker. But there's a lot of great free tools for learning GraphQL. Right. Incidentally, that's why you are the lead developer. (laughs) Sure. Yep. The CEO and founder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just me. (laughs) 
No, but one of the things, so, okay, let me step back a little bit. So my background, I've been doing development of one kind for another for a very long time, but my background is not super database heavy. Like I've learned enough SQL that I can get by, you know, I can do table, I can do joins and I can do queries and, and that kind of stuff, but I'm really not like, that's just not my background. I'm not a database person. What about you, Patrick? Like, is that you, you came originally from design, right? Uh, no. So before then though, I actually spent a lot of time in, in databases, uh, oh, okay. Oracle, MS SQL server. No, I actually know SQL way better than I wish I did. Oh, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> then I, I've yeah. got a couple of questions for you after the show. Um, <laughs> but my point is that, you know, I've learned enough to kind of get by and I, I can do it to some extent or another, but I'm certainly not a trained, like you don't, <laughs> don't hire me to architect, you know, the database, right? But in learning GraphQL, the queries are way easier. Like It's just so much easier to build a GraphQL query than it is to build an SQL query, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think the simplicity of the query language is really nice and approachable for people. That's why I feel like writing queries in some sort of API, everyone used to use the Star Wars API for every hello world for GraphQL. That mm. was like the law. Yeah. And but there's a really benefit to that. I think the folks who created GraphQL made graphical that tool that you can use to oh, send a query it. right in the browser. Yeah. Like what is better than that? That they that's the smartest thing they ever did. Yeah. The whole spec itself great, awesome, probably going to build some cool stuff around that, but making it approachable was it that was the winning ticket and I think that's why people often when they come from that approach, they really like it. Yeah, graphical it graf how do you pronounce it? Graphical? Graphical Graphical. Graphic, GraphQL? Because I've <laughs> pronounced it wrong a lot. So I, straight from the source, graphical. graphical. I'm not the source, of course, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So graphical, like I thought was amazing because you can just get in there and you can just play around with it. In fact, that's what I've told people is just, hey, here's a basic query, plug it into graphical and then play around because because of the strong typing and because of the self-documenting nature of it, you'll get autocomplete and you'll get mm -hmm. explanations of stuff and you can just kind of, you can pick up enough that it's not that bad to just pick it up and, and start playing around with it. There are tools like that for SQL. Like there's a, for the Mac, for instance, there's this thing called Querless, I believe, that a lot of people are mm -hmm. using to spec out their queries and stuff. But there's nothing as approachable and there's nothing that someone can just stand up in a browser. Maybe there is. Someone's going to write in and be like, yeah, there is, dummy, you can use this. <laughs> um, but there's nothing that I know of that I can just add a package in. And as a vendor of a CMS or some other kind of system, instantly get this wonderful graphical thing in my setup. You know, I think that's huge. I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's also you teach yourself that way. And it's not just an exercise in it's not like a hello world or some sort of frivolous mm -hmm. thing that isn't going to help you out in the future. I think it's really like that's what you're going to do <laughs> with GraphQL is write queries. So the fact that you can do so in about 30 seconds after looking at graphical is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I think that is an advantage as well over something like REST is that you have this thing that you can just play around with to learn it. And I think that that is really, really cool. And the other thing that I think is really, really cool, and this gets back to what you're saying about it being kind of this neutral layer, is if I have a CMS or a backend or whatever whatever this thing is that provides a GraphQL API, a front-end website can consume it, a phone can consume it, a kiosk can consume it, like whatever you want can just mm -hmm. interface with that neutral layer and get all that. I mean, it's just that's just so wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what do you think, Patrick? Have you been using GraphQL in <laughs> any of your projects? Not in a while. I had that 
that brief flirtation with Gatsby, but I honestly haven't found a use for it since. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find so often we're not looking to... What, did you wander into the wrong podcast, Patrick? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, who else do you got on this one? No. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, when we, we've done stuff that are, are putting more and more into the front end JavaScript of pulling data and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is that because we're a little bit nervous about SEO penalties, we're still typically doing content sites for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're e-commerce uh, alongside, but a lot of times we're a little bit afraid of putting so much content pulling into what happens on the client rather than serving it down in a way that we know Google is going to index. Eve, is that anything that you see when people are, you know, taking a look? Do I write this from backend code? Do I consume it from the front end and do it in pure JavaScript? Do you, do you see people that are nervous about that? Are they doing server-side rendering or things like that to get around concerns like that? Yeah, I think most folks are, if they're using Gatsby or something like that, there are some SEO things that you can optimize for for those types of sites. But I do think that if you're not using a, an existing CMS, people do tend to use server-side rendering. But mm. I haven't really found good resources for that topic. And it's not something that comes up a whole lot, but that makes me want to write down notes so I can <laughs> write a blog about it or something and learn more. So Yeah, well, again, though. I think it gets back to what are you building? So Patrick, totally. if you're building a content marketing website, you have to seriously look at, you know, what the advantages would be for using something like that. A case where it would be an advantage probably is so you might have an autocomplete search that's going to have mm-hmm. to ping the back end somehow to like do the thing. No SEO concerns there at all. You can use sure. GraphQL to, to do that thing, to get that data in and out. But again, it depends on what you're building. You know, if you're building an app, then you don't care about SEO. Like none of that matters. It doesn't really make a difference. And if you're building a marketing site, maybe you would just use GraphQL for little bits and pieces like the autocomplete search, or maybe you won't use it at all. But so a real world example that happened to me recently, Eve, is that someone gave me a project that he was going to be working on and they were wanted to modernize this outbreak database project, which is basically a database of food foodborne illness outbreaks. And it was done in some custom PHP app that had its own, I don't think it was even a REST API, it just had its own API for doing searches and that kind of stuff. And I was kind of given free reign to do stuff with it. And one of the things that was mentioned as a condition to, and, and part of this is modernizing the front end, but also modernizing the whole architecture everything was built on. And so there needed, it was going to be a CMS backend because they needed the content authoring to be able to edit stuff. We picked craft because I know craft and I know it handles what they need to do really well. One of the things that they also mentioned was they might potentially want to have an API that they could open up to third party people, you know, to be able to have access to it. And as soon as I heard that, I said, GraphQL. Like this is this is perfect because Uh I will get this API for free that supports tokenized access to to various things and I don't have to do anything else. Yeah, that's really cool. I think I think more and more public facing APIs are going to use GraphQL. GitHub, as I mentioned, is kind of the first of those to Mm -hmm. really bet big on it. But you'll see more and more of that in the future. So even if you never build your own GraphQL server, never, I don't know, build a client that uses GraphQL at all. I feel like knowing a bit about the query language is going to help out tremendously just as far as being a data consumer, because yeah, being able to expose an API quickly like that, that's people are going to take advantage of that as time 
time so goes on. You make on. an amazing point, and this is why you're in the big bucks as the lead developer, because that is... <laughs> no, because that is huge. It is huge yeah. to say that, okay, you may never write your own GraphQL server. You may never write your mm -hmm. own GraphQL schema. That's that's fine. Like the, the That's a one-to-many thing anyway. You know, Not that many people are making those as opposed to consuming them. You might not even ever create your own front end to consume this API, but you mm -hmm. very well might need to consume the API from this other service or this other data source. And that's going to be GraphQL. Either it is already or in the future, it very likely is going to be. Yeah, totally. And I think that a lot of, we've been teaching a course, it's free, the first Tuesday of the month. Uh, it's a free course that we teach called GraphQLs for Everyone. Mm. And we really aim it at project managers and designers and people, backend developers, front-end developers. Anyone yep. who has to consume data is a good audience for that just because you're going to need to learn how to write some queries. And as we said, Graphical and GraphQL Playground and other tools like that make that much better. <laughs> much nicer than yeah. previous examples of it. But um, yeah, I think there's a think about someone who uses, I don't know, Excel for data. <laughs> I think those people will eventually use GraphQL for projects as well. I think it's coming for everybody. That's really interesting to me that you are teaching this to graphic designers, for instance, and it that hadn't occurred to me. But then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what, the GraphQL query language is simple enough that yeah, like, why not? You know, like anybody could learn. It. Yeah, totally. Before I was a developer, I was a kind of UX designer, project manager. I wrote specs for applications and I had to use Postman or whatever the tool was at the time to figure out some data from mm, those REST mm -hmm. APIs. And I wasn't a developer, but that was part of my job. I had to pull data from those APIs without a nice user interface because a lot of particularly internal tools, they assume that you'll use a CLI for that or something. So I think knowing more about those data formats, knowing more about the query language, no matter your role, you shouldn't feel intimidated to use GraphQL a bit. All right. So Eve, this is the part of the podcast where I get very selfish because there's there's a couple things <laughs> that I that I want to know about. And so this is uh, everything else was a pretense for having you on just so I can ask you these questions. <laughs> Sounds good. Stack so, Overflow. Yeah. So exactly. This is like live Stack Overflow. Let's do it. So one of the things you mentioned is a GraphQL client. And I know that mm -hmm. probably the most popular is Apollo. And then there's also uh, Prismatic. Yep. And Relay is a popular one too. Yep. So my question is, why would I use one of these? And the reason I'm asking that is GraphQL. It's a query language that's just text. Okay. And so you can just send that text of the query language. You can just send that off to the endpoint and you'll get a response back. And mm -hmm. in fact, for all of the GraphQL projects that I have used so far, I haven't used any kind of a GraphQL client. I've just been using Axios. And mm -hmm. for some of them, I've been using Vuex with Vue as a store, but that's it. Mm -hmm. I haven't been using anything else. What am I missing out on by not using Apollo client, Prismatic client, Relay, like what, whatever these things are, like what am I losing by not using one of those? Because I still, I don't, I don't see the point, at least for what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up. We've talked a lot about how the GraphQL spec itself is different from the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And you can totally, a GraphQL request is just an HTTP request. Yeah. So we can send GraphQL requests via curl or fetch or Axios or whatever you want to use. So a lot of apps will stop there. And that's great. The reason that people reach for GraphQL clients like Apollo or Relay or anything like that 
lot is you get client side caching. Mm -hmm. um, you also can create customized. So just to take a step back, I should explain what I'm talking about. I'm a teacher after all. Um, you should <laughs> with rest, we make a request and all of our all of our data that we get back from that request is cached. So we can cache by route and it's pretty straightforward of how to do that. Mm -hmm. With GraphQL, we can save or with Apollo client or with Relay, we can save the results of a GraphQL query on the client. So that could be just like our request for all of our users. We could save that response in mm -hmm. the browser so that we don't have to make additional HTTP requests. The other part of using a tool like that is you can set up kind of a custom link to your GraphQL data source. So one of the cool things that I always like to talk about with GraphQL is GraphQL subscriptions. Right. So GraphQL subscriptions, unlike a query where we're just requesting data with an HTTP request or a mutation where we change some data with an HTTP request, a GraphQL subscription allows you to listen for changes in real time over a WebSocket. And so if you want to set up that sort of logic on the client where certain things are subscriptions, certain things are queries, a tool like Apollo Client or Relay give, does some of the work for you on that so right. that you don't have to build it yourself. Yeah, and the way I think um, of subscriptions yeah. is I think of them as push notifications to some extent, as sure. opposed to just constantly polling, is there new data, is there new data, is there new data? If you have a GraphQL subscription, my understanding is that it will say, here's the new data. Is that how it works? That's exactly how it works. So you send a subscription and then it'll just listen for those changes in real time. The first place those were used were at Facebook where those live videos where there's little emoji heads floating around on the screen. Are you kidding me? Happy, they, did, they did all of that work all of that hard engineering work for subscriptions, yep. they did it to have floating emoji heads? <laughs> yes. Oh, and My also God. the thumbs this... up thing on <sighs> different posts so that you could see those happen in real time. GraphSQL subscriptions, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we are on the dumbest timeline ever. This True. Is, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is why we can't have nice things because of um, <laughs> dumb things. Uh, I mean, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense that you're explaining to me the advantages of using these clients. And that is, I'm happy because I, I there wasn't something that I wasn't understanding about them because I'm consuming APIs that are already doing the GraphQL query caching server side. Mm -hmm. So I actually didn't really want a client side cache yeah. involved because I'm just like, you know, who knows cache coherency and cache, like who knows is going to introduce more problems than it, than it solves for me currently. But then also some of these clients, like I see everyone by default, when they start doing something in GraphQL, they instantly just grab Apollo or grab Relay or grab Prismatic because they're like, I need this in order to be able to consume GraphQL. And I just want to say, no, you don't. As you mentioned before, it's just plain text. Like you can just send it, you can get a response back. And depending on what you're doing, that could actually be better, primarily because then you don't have this additional layer of complication. And also it's just less JavaScript that is mm -hmm. running in the browser. Yeah, absolutely. I think all these tools that have popped up around GraphQL have emerged to solve very specific problems right. for very specific projects. Mm -hmm. And I think, or types of projects, I should say. And I think that, yeah, reaching for tools to solve all of your problems, as with anything, can sort of create more problems yeah. sometimes. It might be too much overhead. But when you reach a point where you're like, you know, I really want to build some 
some custom logic for handling different types of queries. Or another thing I didn't mention is if you use something like Relay or Apollo Client, they're nice tools for integrating that data that you fetch from a GraphQL API with your React user interface or your Angular app or things like that. So those types of things you might want to think about if you hit walls. So we're, I mean, essentially we're talking about the tooling around the thing. And the thing that this reminds me of, and we, it sounds like this could be the summary of every podcast that we've ever done, Patrick, which is pick the right tool for the job. Yep. And I tend to think of these various technologies out there as prescription drugs. Just because your neighbor is taking a prescription drug doesn't mean you should take the same thing. <laughs> they may have a different problem than you have, right? You wouldn't just blindly like raid his medicine cabinet and start popping whatever pills are in there, right? So make sure that whatever it is that you're consuming when you're building your app is the thing that will actually solve your problem. And that's why I asked originally, mm -hmm. whether GraphQL was something that, okay, great, it solves Facebook's problem, but does it solve other people's problems? Because there has been a criticism of some of these technologies that have come from various companies that not everybody is building Facebook. Like we, we don't need this thing. But GraphQL, at least to me, seems to be a technology that actually works really, really well, even for much, much smaller projects because of it being this neutral layer and, because, and by nature of the problems that it solves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of small companies, small internal apps even have used GraphQL with a lot of success. And I think you don't necessarily have to be Facebook to get all of the benefits from it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you a little bit, Eve. So your company, how did you end up falling into this cr crazy thing where you're teaching people GraphQL? Like, how did that happen? How did that happen? Well, I mentioned I was project manager, UX designer type person. <laughs> and then I was working on a lot of web projects. And Okay, so it was project manager, UX designer for websites. For websites, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. So okay. yeah, we would, I just was interested in coding. My husband, Alex, was a software engineer for a long time. He mm -hmm. was constantly trying to get me to be in a family business with him, which oh, I thought God. was a terrible idea. Oh. Um, but now we've done that for the past eight years and it's, it's great. Um, so we, I learned to code. I found myself teaching quite a bit. So we would do maybe 75% just contract web development projects and then some teaching alongside that. And so that's sort of been reversed. We're doing a lot more teaching these days than big projects. We have one or two maybe going per year. But I think that, yeah, we have always had interest in teaching and sharing information. And we wanted to move to more importantly, I guess we wanted to move to Tahoe, mm. which there are no jobs here. So you kind of have to <laughs> you make your figure own. out what a job is and yeah. just make one up on <laughs> the spot. And yeah. so that's what we did. And we're close enough to the Bay Area that we ended up teaching quite a bit down there. Nice. And yeah, we've since then created courses for lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning and mm -hmm. Egghead and some other places and have written some books too. So yeah, it allows us to live here, which we really want to prioritize life-wise. And it also, because we're close to a lot of big companies, when you could go to there, uh, we would do that. So, sure. Well, that's the other thing yeah. with the whole COVID-19 and social distancing and all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of companies that are rethinking, you know, whether everyone really does need to be congregated in one city and, and all working on site. So 
you know, people like you that have mm-hmm. chosen a location, you've decided to live in a particular location and you'll figure everything else out yeah. after that. Maybe kind of an advantage that we were kind of forced to go through this because there are lots of other people that are just like, huh, you know, we don't really have to live in the Bay Area. Yeah. And I think it's been funny just anecdotally people, I figured this would be a really good time to buy a house in Tahoe because mm. the just the weird state of the world would mm. lead to that. But I found out that everyone from the Bay Area is moving to Tahoe mm. and houses no. are selling in like two days. So they're going to ruin everything. Don't ask, don't ask me for projections on real estate. But I will say that, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I think you can everything that we've done, we didn't really set out to set out to do. We were just like, how do we stay here? And then yeah. everyone, everything else just sort of followed that lead. And right. so, yeah, I think other people will find that out too. <laughs> so Yeah. So in addition to running your own company, Moon Highway, you also do courses for Egghead on GraphQL and, and other things too, or just GraphQL so far? Just GraphQL so far. I worked on a query language course with them. And then there's a, a big, huge GraphQL course coming out later mm. this year. So that is blocked any other things that Would I you like to make any announcements about the release date for that big course definitely not because I have no <laughs> idea <laughs> Isn't that funny, Patrick? Every single person we get on here and we yeah. ask them for a release date they're all like no way like I'm not yeah. doing that I love it our second edition of Learning React comes out July 7th in bookstores and websites near you nice. that's all I can announce I have no idea it might be 2021 who knows right. Yeah. (laughs) About the other stuff. So that's funny, though. I mean, you may end up, so you transitioned from what you were doing before to doing training. You may transition to just becoming like a real estate investor because if you bought a house out in Tahoe and if everyone else out there from the Bay Area is moving out there, you're going to feel like you're a genius because your house is going to be worth so much money pretty soon, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I I definitely don't know the trends that well, but it does seem like our area is going to go through huge changes soon. So yeah, it'll be weird. (laughs) My goodness. That's amazing. Patrick, you got anything else that you want to you want to talk to Eve about? No, I mean, I mean, I hope that one day I'll find a good use for GraphQL. That blows um, my mind. You haven't done haven't found a good use for it. I don't understand. <laughs> no pressure. Live. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I want to. I just I haven't found the right product. What do you <laughs> Well, you must be doing stuff like, you know, basic autocomplete searches and that kind of stuff. Like, what are you using for that? Are you just using Algolia or what are you doing? Uh, I haven't done any good autocomplete searches in a while, which is funny because at one point, like, yeah, the Element API was my jam and I'd use that all the time for that. Yeah, yeah I don't, it, it, that's a good use case where I could and probably should be using it. What are you building, Patrick? That you're I not, just, I don't understand. I don't know. It's just e-commerce lately. It oh. has been everything. And okay. yeah, trying to, I mean, for a long time in craft, you couldn't do e-commerce over GraphQL. Now you can, but yeah, just haven't had the right project for it got it use the tools that are appropriate for the project so yeah your results may pressured. vary yeah use <laughs> don't feel pressured Side to use GraphQL. no I, I want patrick to be forced to use it all right fair <laughs> enough use <Yeah>. it <laughs> let's go <laughs> Well, that's fantastic, but that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. Make sure to subscribe, and if you enjoy the show, please write a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or retweet the episode. We really appreciate it. We'd love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website, or find us on Twitter at devmode.fm. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. And thank you, Eve Porcello, for coming on from Moon Highway. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
people. I stood up nice. for the entire podcast. I did not fall over. <laughs> Excellent. I did, I did not cry in pain. I did not <laughs> win. it. Yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> Although I am crying a little bit because Zencaster just makes me want to kill myself. But oh, oh, so, do? Yeah. so awful when that happens. <laughs> but no, I, I think this was great. And I hope you had fun coming on. I think it was really informative. So I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Super fun.